It's time for Friday Follies, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. It is the year 2019, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives each week to broadcast from a South Seas barge, crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, the sublimity of rude alchemy. The merriest of Christmases to you, all my dear, dear friends. It brings me such joy to be sharing this special time with you, sweet listeners. You are absolutely the best, the most... Nope. Can't do it. I thought I could convince myself I'm not horribly alone this year, that... That I have friends, family, that you, you, listeners, are my family, and not just a bunch of people who probably smell like organic deodorant, and whose Facebook pages creep me out a little. No. No, I... I am truly alone. Uh... Uh... Have myself a merry little Christmas. Let my heart be light. I'm here with you, narrator. Jesus Christ! Oh, you scared the f out of me, announcer. I'll be your Christmas friend. Don't forget, I'm horribly alone, too. You know what? Normally, I'd avoid being near you for longer than were absolutely necessary to earn my $185 a month. Whoa! Is that what the Patreon is up to now? Yeah. (laughs) F***ing idiots, right? Yes! Anyway, normally I'd avoid you. But this year... What? the hell? Why not? Tell me, do you prefer a traditional Christmas celebration? Oh yes, very traditional. Perfect. Me too. All right, folks, sounds like I've got Christmas plans, and you do too. Stay tuned for Christmas at Bainbridge, a Carver Academy Christmas special. Christmas at Bainbridge is brought to you by the Winter Solstice. Did you know that Christmas is actually just a ripoff of a pagan holiday? See what I did there? 
See how easy that was for me to plant the seeds of doubt in your mind about a tradition that's brought you and the world nothing but joy for generations? That's because I used a nifty little trick called deconstruction. That's right, folks. Our sponsor today is deconstruction. Are you ever bothered by pesky pangs of positivity, warmth, or caring during the holiday season? Give deconstruction a try. For example, did you know that December 25th, 0000, is not the date on Jesus' birth certificate? Or that hanging strings of lights at Christmas time was a tradition started by the Nazis? Or that Santa Claus was a slave owner as recently as 1995? See how deconstruction can chase all those feelings of engagement, community, and love right out of even the most benign of traditions. Deconstruction, till all the meaning is gone. It's December 23rd, and Bainbridge Academy for Boys' usual scent of B.O. and locker metal is masked delightfully by the smell of the annual Christmas feast, a roasty and cinnamony noontime holiday luncheon that marks the end of the second semester and the beginning of Christmas break. For the wealthy students of Bainbridge, it was a time of giddy excitement and wholehearted regression to the magical period of childhood before things started getting hairy, gross, confusing, smelly, and hard. And then not hard. And then what is that? And shame, and pleasure, and fear. Anyway, <laughs> It was a happy time for the rich kids, but somewhat less so for our scholarship orphans, Carver Cranebottom and Basil Basilton. What are you doing for Christmas break, Baz? Whatever the f*** I want, Carve. Corey's going home to his family, so I'll finally get some peace and quiet. Did you know he has nose leprosy? It's leprosy isolated entirely within his nose. The snoring sounds like an elephant with his d*** caught in a windmill. I'm gonna sleep, relax and write some more ribald poetry to work myself up into a fevered frenzy of amusement and arousal, and then deny myself release until midnight on December 31st. It's going to be the best Christmas ever. I'm not going home, Beetle. Ah! Hi, guys. Corey, what the f***? Where did you come from, and what do you mean you're not going home? Also, I thought you were dead. Oh, right. We killed him off. Shit. Everyone, just try to forget about that. Yeah, I don't feel like changing it now. I'm on quarantine here at Bainbridge on account of my vaginal tuberculosis. You have a vagina? I have two, but I also have three penises, so the doctor went with male. Damn it, Corey. This is going to be the worst Christmas ever. You're telling me I can't go home or get my presents or see my twin brother, Maury. There are two of you? Yeah, but he's really 
stop. He was just a growth on my nipple until last April when he became self-aware. Well, at least you'll be here, Carve. We can try that new Thai place. Um, about that. Which one of you is Cranebottom? That's Dirk the Swede, the stablemaster. Yeah, yeah, he died too. Whatever. What do you care? No one cares. I'm Carver Cranebottom. I just got word from Dr. Danderduff. The coach is delayed. It'll be here at midnight. Wait, what coach? Coach to where? To my benefactors. You know, Dr. Danderduff. I'm to have Christ's Mass at his estate. I'm sorry, Baz, I tried to tell you, but I couldn't find the right time. And in doing so, you picked the absolute worst time. The worst. The worst. Don't worry, Basil. I'll be here. We can play snot checkers. And don't forget about Dirk the Schwied. I'll be here. Oh, you're staying, Dirk? See, Baz, the stable master is staying. Won't that be nice? Yep, someone's got to stimulate the stallions, else their testicles explode. I like horses. Oh, oh, right. Uh, Cory likes horses. Man, I really forgot a lot about this crappy sub-universe. Anyway, Basil was so furious at Carver that he didn't speak to him or anyone until all four of the stranded souls gathered once more in the Great Hall that evening, this time to dine on naught but the picked-over remnants of the Great Feast. Each eater sat far apart from one another, the icy silence broken only by interim headmaster Fat's brief blessing. And yes, I know Reverend Fat died too, but guess what, smartass? This isn't the same guy. This is a much fatter nephew who is serving as temporary headmaster because Headmaster Crustwedge is dead. And I remember that too, bitch! We are gathered here today to feast on God's holy blessings of leftover meats, cheeses, and starches. And those little peanut butter cookies with the Hershey criticism that for some reason are associated with Christmas. And of course the figgy pudding. Thank you so much, Jesus, for being born and we can eat our figgy pudding. Oh, I love a good fig, and so did the Lord. And I'm pretty sure that the Lord put the fig in the tree of temptation. Then Adam regrets from Eve, and the demon that is Satan, Philippine. Interim Headmaster Fat then selected the largest meat pie on the great table, hefted it on his shoulder, and retreated to his office. The icy silence returned. All that could be heard was slow, resentful chewing and Corey's occasional liquidy snort. As Carver bit into a meager chicken thigh, he observed Basil stand and exit without a word. A moment later, as Carver swallowed a crust of bread, he noted Corey's departure punctuated by a sharp but sloppy sniffle. Finally, as Carver consumed a cold pudding, Dirk the Swede bust his tray and clomped out of the hall. Carver looked at the great clock. Eleven. Danderduff's coach shall arrive soon. A horrible scream annihilated the silence. Carver leapt to his feet and ran towards the sound. The door of the headmaster's office was wide open. On the desk, 
interim headmaster fat was face down in his meat pie, a long, slender bone protruding from the back of his head. Also in the office were Basil, Corey, and Dirk the Swede. Hey, guys, what, uh, what happened? Will Carver discover who murdered interim headmaster Fat? Will Dandeduff's coach arrive at midnight? Will Corey ever get a netty pot as I've recommended time and time again? Find out. Right now. Okay, Basil, we'll just start with you then. Oh, will you? Will you just start with me? Is that what you'll just? Oh, thank you for just starting with me. Shall I just start then? Is that what I shall do? Start? Well, no, we don't have to. We can ask Corey. Corey? Oh, Corey! Yes, Basilton? I wasn't talking to you, you cave-faced horror. Didn't he just say, Corey, oh, Corey? Uh, Corey, your face is so... Uh, I don't even... I can't even... There, there, Baz. Take it easy, old chap. Just ignore Corey and focus on what happened when you left the room. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna just breathe and forget... Corey. A bit too much vinegar, eh, Basil Ten? Oh, come on. What the f did you just say? A bit too much vinegar? Baz. No, 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 This piss face just said I had a bit too much vinegar. What does that even mean, piss face? You're acting like a baby. Oh, does being abandoned by my best friend and only friend on the one Christmas where I was going to have a best and only friend mean I'm acting like a baby? Then wah, wah, wah. I guess I'm a f***ing baby. And I guess you are a f***ing piss face. Basil leapt at Corey. The two tussled on the floor until the pressure of Basil's palm on Corey's jawbone caused one of Corey's chin sores to rupture. Ah! See? See? The little droplets that'll hang out there now? They'll be yellow as piss. Get, get off, Basilton. Boys, boys. Come along, Baz. Enough is enough. The yellow is the color of his blood platelets, not some kind of subdermally stored facial urine. Oh, shut up, Carver. See, Basilton, you're not even crossed with me. You're crossed with Carvey. And what if I am? Is that why you left the room, Baz, to vent your rage about my visiting Dr. Danderduff for Christmas? Of course I'm cross that you're leaving me to spend Christmas with some dusty old doctor. But Dr. Dandadoff... Oh, I know. He's learned, respected, etc. That doesn't change that I'll be lonely, Carve. You think I'd be used to huddling alone through the Yuletide. But after our friendship this fall, I looked forward to braving the dark alongside another orphan chap. Oh, Basil. And no, I didn't just run away to squeeze a pillow between my thighs in anger. Do what? You know, when you're really angry... And you take a pillow and sort of sit on it and squeeze your thighs very tightly together like, oh, I'm so angry I could squeeze off a pillow between my thighs right now. No? Nope. Uh-uh. I know what he's talking about. Exactly. Shh. Thank you, Dirk. It is the same in stable except with hay bales. Yeah, whatever. See? I'm normal. So you left the room to dissipate your anger. Right. If there was anyone I wanted to kill, it was you, not temporary replacement headmaster Fat. And I'd never kill you. Just squeeze a pillow between your thighs. Right. And also, fetch you this. Basil produced a small figure carved from wood. It wore the tiny jacket and trousers of a Bainbridge student. 
On its wooden face was painted an upturned line to indicate a smile that was somehow entirely earnest and incredibly sad. You, you made this for me? A little wooden figurine? Why, it's wearing the Bainbridge blues. I cut them from the lining of my own uniform, stitched them together as best I could. Basil. That's right. It's me, a little woody Basil. And look. Here, Basil produced another taller figure, wrapped in a black doll coat, stenciled eyebrow arched. This is a little woody you. I figured I'd give you woody me and I'd keep woody you. That way, we still would have some piece of Christmas together. Oh, look at this cute little dolly. Basil, wow. Okay, now listen, Basil couldn't have murdered temporary replacement headmaster fat. I mean, I know I'm supposed to be a fair and impartial investigator, but come on, there's no way Basil did it. Nope, not one. Okay, cool. Thank you, Basil. I'm still going to Dr. Danderduff's tonight, but this makes me feel like guilty? No, not that. But like, you know, thankful for your friendship? No, no, I don't know. I just like that you gave me this thing. I like that. Wait. Couldn't Basil have meant to push your head into the pie, but push the headmasters instead? What? Are you f***ing stupid, Corey? No, uh-uh. Definitely not. You f***ing piss face! Corey, leave the investigating to me. I have closely studied all the C. Auguste Dupont stories, so I think I know how investigations work. Because you read some made-up stuff written by a brain-congested Yankee popper? That's right. Now on to the next suspect. Corey, let's you and I discuss your whereabouts during the time in question. Okay. As I stated, I've been deeply engrossed in the literary world of investigatory analysis, and so I will know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, if you are misleading me in any way. Understood? Yes. Very well, then. Did you kill temporary replacement headmaster fat? No. Right here, moving on. What? Yes? That's it? Is what it? That's the entirety of your investigation into Corey? You're just going to take him at his word? Well, no, I was... I only meant... Yes? Well, for God's sake, Basil, look at the man. If he was going to kill anyone, it'd be himself, wouldn't it? That is a good point. Right, like, if this guy was actually capable of murder, which, by the way, I don't think he is, he's far too... Uh, what's the word? Puny? Delicate? Pansy-y? Not that, but, like, yeah, that. I get it. Anyway, if he was actually capable of murdering anyone, why wouldn't he off himself? He has literally nothing to live for. His face is the stuff that the very demons in the darkest pits of Hades have nightmares of. And Corey, don't say it'll clear up one day. Don't say that. Even if it does, your face will be so hideously scarred it'll make the dark side of the moon look smoother than a billiard ball. Seriously, if ever there was a face a mother could not love, that one is it. As clearly demonstrated by the fact that his mother told him to stay here for Christmas. Actually, it's because an infection is flaring up and they didn't want to expose my little cousin It's because to... they don't love you, Corey. Infection? Please. You have been on a steady diet of antibiotics since the fifth grade. The bubonic plague couldn't infiltrate you. No, your mother told you to stay here because she could not bear one more holiday looking at such a hideous face that can only remind her of the inherent brokenness within her own blood that could allow her to produce such a hideous malformation that is your face. That's why you're here. Seriously, your face looks like... Oh, sorry, Carver, may I? By all means, have at it. Your face looks like herpes got sick and threw up. Anything else? Just had one bullet in the chamber. 
Bang, motherfucker. And furthermore, temporary replacement headmaster Fat wasn't mean to him. He wasn't necessarily nice to him. Who could be nice to such an evil face? But he wasn't cruel. In fact, I distinctly noticed that he made eye contact with Corey at one point, briefly, fleeting even, but still, contact was made. And? Well, consider how absurdly cruel we've been to this pathetic, sad excuse for a human being. And he hasn't killed us. Why would he kill the one person who is decent to him? That's a fair point as well, but still, why did he leave the room? Who knows? Who cares? He was probably popping one of the thousands of disgusting little polyps that have developed since lunch. Corey, did you leave the room to pop a polyp? Yes. See? I'm satisfied. Good. Moving on. What about the stableman? Whatever his stupid name is. Derek? Who, me? Oh, is that what it is, Corey? Corey? Correct. Derek Bjorn Bjornsen. That's absolutely correct, actually. (sighs) Breathe, Basil. Breathe. Easy, Baz. You bring up a good point. Dirk can account for your whereabouts for the time in question. I knew it. I knew it. When in doubt, blame it on the immigrant. Honestly, Kavi, and you know me better than anyone, I have no problem blaming immigrants because nine times out of ten... Baz! Well, he's Swedish. Aren't they all neutral and shit? You're thinking of Switzerland, Baselton. What am I thinking of, Corey? Huh? You c- The country of Switzerland signed a neutrality agreement in 1518. Your entire being is ugly. Ease up, Baz. Origin of birth has nothing to do with guilt or innocence, so the point is moot. Please, please, you must believe me. I'm just a lowly stableman. I care only about my horses and the other creatures of the earth. I even made that lovely crock of meat bosh for the party. What possible reason could I have... To murder Reverend Fat. I loved those switched meatballs. Disgusting. Dirk, I must treat everyone as a suspect, and honestly, I don't think any of us know you well enough to even posit a motive. Except for Corey, who knows your full name. What say you, Corey? Gosh, the only thing that comes to mind is the interim headmaster Fat and I really took a liking to those meatballs. I'm fairly certain we finished the crock between the two of us, and it was a big crock. I mean, really big. But I guess that would mean he would have killed me too. Aha, perhaps the deed hasn't been finished. You did seem very proud of those meatballs, Dirk. Maybe you wanted all of us to try them and extol your Swedish culinary skills, making us all think more of you than just a shit-shoveling Swedish farrier. Maybe the gluttony of Corey and the Reverend brought out a dark side that you couldn't control. Not at all. I have another crock down in the stables just in case people wanted chickens. Oh, that's exciting, these. Look at my hands. Look. Do these hands look like they belong to a murderer? They are cracked, chapped, and caked with manure and oats. They are hands of hard work and love. Your hands are very, um, worky, but I must... Hold on a tick. Let me take a closer look at your hands. Don't touch them, Carver. Honestly, it sounds like he's proud of not washing them. Thank heavens for that. Blood. Excuse me? Blood beneath your fingernails. Oh, Oh, shit. shit. Dirk, can you explain why you have blood on your hands? Since I am innocent, I can, of course, explain and am happy to do so. It is blood, make no mistake, but it is placental blood. Placental? As in placenta? As in something having to do with the vagina? I thought we got all of the coups off campus. 
I'll be writing a strongly worded letter to the new headmaster whenever he's appointed. It is the placental blood of a creature I cared for. Makes no difference to me. I make sure to never be far from the stables lest one of my horses needs my immediate attention. The south bank of windows in the party hall faces the stable, so I wandered over to take a quick peek. To my surprise, the stable doors were open, and I never leave the stable doors open, and neither does Todd. Needless to say, I was headed straight down to see what was amiss. Wait a second, who's Todd? The hunchback stable hand. Where did he come from? No clue. He was here when I got the job. As I said, I headed straight down. Hello? Todd? Why are all these doors open? Todd, hunchback stable hand, popped out from a stall. He was short, warmly dressed, homely, and of course hunchbacked. Don't get the wrong idea, I'm not saying all hunchbacks are homely, it's just in in this particular instance, Todd is definitely not attractive. Quick, Master. Come at once. Stop calling me Master, Todd. I mean it. This is the last time I'm going to tell you. Quick. Dirk. Come at once. Is everything alright? Which one is it? Which one of my dear horses is sick? I can't handle it. Just tell me. It's not a horsey. There's a visitor. Dirk followed Todd to the last stable in the barn. As Dirk turned the corner, he saw a rather rotund man with a deathly concerned look on his face, stroking the back of a distressed reindeer. What on earth? Mm, This man needs your help. Who are you and why are you in my stable? I beg your pardon, kind sir. I had a bit of work to do this evening, but my dear friend here seems to have gone into labor. (laughs) Thought we had time to get back home where my own stableman could handle her, but I was sorely mistaken. She's not acting herself. I'm afraid it's out of my ability, and this was the first stable I could find. Todd here said you are experienced in these matters. That I am, sir. I'll be glad to help any animal in need. Bless you, sir. Todd, bring the lube. Already and waiting. Commence the lubing, Todd. Dirk stretched out his arm, and Todd slathered some old-timey lube all over his arm. Don't ask me, but I'm sure they had some kind of lubricant back then. Excellent. You're getting much better at that, Todd. Oh. I need you to, uh... What's your name? Um... Klaus? All right, Klaus. I need you to hold her head and keep her calm. Has she ever been palpated before? I don't believe so. Yeah, when I get in, she's gonna box all tight. Dirk then inserted his hand, arm, and half of his bicep into the pregnant reindeer's vagina. She's definitely handling this well. Are you sure she hasn't been palpated before? To be honest, I didn't know what palpated meant, but now that I see what you are doing, yes, she has definitely been palpated. I can tell. Aha! Just as I thought, the baby is in breach. I've seen it a hundred times. Lucky for you, the little fella is still alive and fighting my hand, but we still don't have much time. Todd? Yes-um. Fetch the birthing chains. Yes-um. Here they are, my more lube. Well done, Todd, and yes, just a smidgen more lubricant. All righty. Now I just need to get back in there. Okay, yep, there we are. I can feel the hind legs. It's definitely putting up a fight. Whoa, I think you've got yourself a bull calf here, Klaus. 
Would you be so kind, Claus, and come around and help me feed the change into the vaginal canal? Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Time is of the essence, Claus, and poor Todd doesn't have the arm length, and I can't let go of these legs. Okay, just, just put it in. Have Todd lube you first, Todd. Thank you, Todd. All right, Claus, just ease in and feel for my hand and slip the chain over the hooves. Oh, 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 God. Oh, I don't like this. This isn't something I'm used to. Oh, it's so... Words can't describe. All right, I can feel your hand and the hooves. I think I've got the chain on. All right, Klaus, pull out and you and Todd gently pull. Klaus and Todd did as they were told and gently pulled. With Dirk's expert guidance, they were able to pass the calf through the hips and out into this world. What did I tell you? It's a boy. Congratulations, Klaus. He's beautiful. Would you look at that? His nose. It's round and bright red. It's almost shining like the North Star. It's magnificent. Have you ever seen anything like it? I have, actually. It's a malignant nasal tumor. You'll have to get it taken care of soon or it will eventually block his nasal passages and he'll suffocate. Oh. Oh. I see. Well... Thanks for your services, dear Stable Master Dirk. You'll forever be good in my book. Long story short, I was shoulder deep inside the ranger's vagina, successfully saving its calf. I realize none of you are well versed in veterinary sciences, but when one engages in such work, they are likely to get blood on their hands. Can we stop saying vagina, please? Your alibi is certainly plausible, I suppose. However, I believe a trip down the stables and a chat with Todd is in order, don't you think? If you insist. To the stables. On they went to the meet with Todd. Upon entering, Carver couldn't help but notice the immaculate condition of the stable. The only sign of any animal in distress was a sick little pony lying on its side with a warming blanket draped over it and three of its four hooves bandaged. Everything seems oddly in order, Dirk. A bit too in order, if you ask me. Oh, yes. Todd is truly a master of tidying up. Isn't that right, Todd? Yes, um. Look at the f***ing hunch. Easy, Baz. Yes. Well done, Todd. It must have been quite a mess down here after such a difficult reindeer birth. What? Um, yes, Todd. Remember the fat man with his pregnant reindeer and how we helped pull the calf? No, uh, yes. No, yes, no. Yes. Todd's very tired. He needs his rest. Todd, was there a fat man with a pregnant reindeer in here tonight? The truth, if you please. <laughs> I, I'm very confused and uncomfortable. Carver, he's in no condition to talk. Yes, the fat man was here. Ah, well, there you have it. Interim headmaster fat comes in here every day to ride sweet baby Angel, our pony. That's why she come up lame. He's too heavy for her, but he insists. Master Dirk always fights with him about it, but still gets his way. I see. So interim headmaster fat comes in for a ride every day and puts sweet baby Angel under his immense weight, causing her much distress. We all know how much you care for the livestock, Dirk, but I don't think we realize just how much you care. You couldn't stand to see sweet baby Angel in agony, yet you felt powerless to Reverend Fat's demands and his rank over you. It was either let him ride the pony or lose your job. Must have worn on you every day. You had to do something about it. You had to help sweet baby Angel, and your only option was murder. And I'd do it again if I had to. I told that fat 
Can a horse in a stable go handle his obesity just fine? But no, he wanted to ride the pony. The other horses were too tall, he'd say, and he was afraid of heights. And how else was he going to get down to Baker Gym for his daily meat pie? I suggested he could walk, but we all know how these fat, fatty stink with their engorged stomachs. He couldn't stop himself, but I could. I could do anything for sweet baby angel, and I did. So you admit it. Quick, Baz, Corey, put him in manacles. We definitely don't have manacles. Fine then, call for the constable. Uh, all right, uh, I can head that way. I should be back in about 15 minutes. Okay, okay, let's tie him up. Carvey, he's a full-grown man. What the hell are we supposed to do? And with that, Dirk fled from the stables. Shit. Well, boys, we lost another member of the Bainbridge faculty today, but we also solved a murder, and with any luck, Dirk will be brought to justice. Yeah, and it wasn't placenta blood. That's a relief. Christmas at Bainbridge is brought to you by Comrade Klaus's incendiary Yule Logs. Are you tired of committing orphanage arson in an effort to bring the capitalist machine to its knees with dull, cheerless fire starters like Molotov cocktails? Give Comrade Kringle's incendiary Yule Logs a try. You'll be toasty warm and full of the Christmas spirit as you watch those bourgeois orphans perish in an inferno of festive justice. All right, announcer. I'm all ready for our traditional Christmas celebration. I have an advent wreath, a stuffed goose dinner, and a a, a fresh-cut tannenbaum ready to be decked with my godmother's ornaments. Announcer, where are you? Oh, listeners, if you could see these ornaments. Priceless, exquisite. Feliz Navidad, narrator. Oh, my What are you doing? What do you mean? I thought you said you wanted a traditional Christmas. Yes. So why are you completely nude, bound, and suspended upside down from the ceiling? I'm all ready for you to beat me to a pulp while playing Wham's Last Christmas and then bring Brendan down in his Christmas jammies to laugh at me before bedtime. Is that, uh... Is that what Denise used to do to you? Of course! And uh, she told you that was a... That was a Christmas tradition. Yep. I didn't have Christmas growing up because baby Jesus was mad at me. Ah. You know, announcer, I always assumed that you were the deranged and abusive maniac responsible for your marriage's demise, but now I, uh, I see that you are nothing more than, than an innocent victim. Come on. Come on, let, let's, let's get you down. Wait, wait, wait! It is Christmas after all. Oh, all right, you rascal. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, narrator. Merry Christmas to you.
fucking look at me. Don't you fucking look at me. This is Christmas time. This is Christmas time. Don't look at me when I beat you. Do you understand? Rude Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Caden, Mr. Andy Wertner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. Christmas at Bainbridge. Story by Rude Alchemy with Mr. Wertner as lead story editor. This episode written by the whole gang and edited by resident sound designer Mr. Michael Hahn. Featuring the voices of Rude Alchemy. Music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Rob. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Podcasts. To support Rudakami and gain access to exclusive bonus content, including blooper reels from every season, visit rudakami.com slash support. Hello, I'm John Bell of Bells in the Bat Free. It's a comedy podcast. Fridays and every other Sunday. Well, anyway, back in episode five of Bells in the Bat Free... We introduce the cowlets, tiny little cows. Where did all these cats come from? They're not cats, they're cows, and they're heading toward the water cooler. Stop it before... Now you can display your love of these tiny cows with genuine cowlet t-shirts. You know what's really fun to do with these shirts? Get a whole bunch of people to buy them. Then you all gather together and run down the street. People will see these cowlets coming toward them and think it's a stampede. You think that would really work, Brad? Shh, I'm pushing for bulk sales here. You can also get cowlet mugs, clocks, and other items. Just go to thebatfree.com and click on shop. This is a limited time offer. No, it's not. You just do not understand advertising, do you? Get your merchandise today with the official Cowlet design created by Jeff Music. Buying lots of them would bring music to my ears. Oh, stop.